everyone, it's Rashad, and this is Wear Many Hats presented by Desire, where we talk about your main gig, then we talk about your side hustle. Sean Bensley is a barista, but not any barista. She is known for swans. She goes by Sean Swans. She has coined herself as a creative coffee director, cafe consultant, and a freelance barista. So she's basically under the whole coffee umbrella. I recently met Sean at her place of work in Borum Hill as she is the head barista at this amazing venue restaurant called Public Records. Public Records is one of my favorite places to go for a coffee, a drink, food, and all of the DJ events that were held there. I wanted to stop by Public Records to pick up the latest issue of Record Magazine featuring Louise Chen, one of my favorite DJs and crushes since she is featured on the cover. Then I met Sean and saw the swans she did with every cup. And when Public Records did a feature on her, I had to have her on. Me being in the coffee world all my life because I love coffee, working as a barista, meeting all these crazy ass people, getting connected with jobs and meeting close friends. The coffee world has always been by my side. Sean has a wonderful personality and I can tell that she has a smile behind her mask. Welcome <laughs> two-time swan barista worldwide champion, Sean Bensley. How's it going? Good, good. I'm good. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. What have you been up to? Took it easy this morning. I like got up, took a shower. I kind of like enjoyed my environment, did a meditation, did some dishes, cleaned the kitchen. Nice. And um, now I'm here. Yeah, like a typical day off in Sean world. You only work at Public Records on the weekends and, and on Fridays, I believe? Yeah. So um, because of the pandemic, you know, the schedule has been very flexible um, and we're just trying to get a bang for our buck, if that makes sense. Um, So at the moment, we're only open on the weekends just because it's cold and it's more of a destination spot than anything else. Definitely. So um, yeah. So like Thursdays and Fridays, which uh, we used to be open for, um, have just been a little slow. So we want to concentrate all our good times on the weekends. That's good. The question of the podcast, how'd you get into coffee? Mm-hmm. How did I get into coffee? So, um, coffee was like ultimately my survival job. Um, yeah. and very much in the sense of when I graduated high school and I didn't know where, uh, where else to go, what to do. I didn't really want to invest in college until I knew exactly what I wanted to invest my money in. Definitely. I uh, got a job at Starbucks so I could move out of my parents' house. Nice. Uh, yeah, yeah. Worked for the big bucks for a while. Um, it was really fun. Definitely didn't teach me anything about coffee at oh, all. Like not. zero, no zero knowledge. <laughs> Definitely. Um, but it was an amazing environment. You know, um, it was like very fast paced. I worked at a drive through and at every drive through in Starbucks, I don't know if this still exists, but back then um, there used to be this screen that uh, would reset every 30 minutes, but it would tell you how well that you're doing um, as far oh. as how many cars you have in line, how long they've been waiting, how many orders you've put through um, and so on. And like, it'll also like turn green if it's good, yellow if you're like on um, like heavy waters and like red if you're like really really just you're making just people terrible. wait for yeah, yeah. <laughs> wait Absolutely. for their frappuccinos um and we used to have um we used to have a competition every morning to see who can get um as many people through as possible in 30 minutes uh so that was really fun my record was 48 um oh wow which is pretty good mm-hmm. um yeah, you had to you had to be working on like five drinks at the same time. Um, yeah. But it was really fun. And then um, 
I moved to New York. I went to school, which I'm sure we'll cover because that's going to be like, you know, my um, dream job, um, life passion. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after I finished school, I was like, well, I got to make rent, um, got to eat some food sometimes. Um, so I guess I'll get a job <laughs> in coffee because that's what I know. Uh, and I got a job at this cafe called Hungry Ghost, which I'm sure a lot of Brooklynites will recognize. It's mm-hmm. a wonderful, wonderful place. Uh, they serve Stumptown coffee. Mm-hmm. And the awesome thing about Stumptown is that, um, and many other roasters in the city, but um, they will uh, give your baristas free uh, education classes through their roastery. Uh, and through their system if your cafe serves their beans yeah because obviously they want you to serve um their coffee and like with the best skill as possible so that everyone can enjoy the product um so I took some classes with Stumptown um and then I just started kind of like hopping around um and I got a lot of like great experiences like in Australian environments and also hole-in-the-wall coffee shops. I worked at a hole-in-the-wall coffee shop in Hell's Kitchen uh, for a while and it literally was just like you could only have two people working at one time and it still was like the same demand as like a really high volume coffee shop just because we were really like popular but so like you really had to learn how to make it work like just by yourself you know like food, coffee, customer service, all of that. The whole shebang. The whole shebang, exactly. Um, And yeah, the like, even though I never really fully intended on like diving this deep with coffee, um, it's treated me very well. The industry has treated me so well and I've been able to do awesome things that I never even, I'd always dreamed. Like I I was going to say I never dreamed of, but I did like dream of it when I was in uh, working at Starbucks. I was like, man, it'd be so cool to like really know how to extract coffee and to like create specialty drinks and, you know, to really know what I'm doing. Yeah. You were bopping around hungry ghost, Brooklyn, hell's Mm -hmm. kitchen. Mm -hmm. I worked um, in Astoria for a couple of weeks at a place called Chateau Le Wolf, which is also very highly recommended. Mm -hmm. Um, They're like a dog cafe. So you can bring your dog there's well not at the moment because you know thanks COVID of course um but um you can bring your dog to like there's like an off-leash area and you can like sit in there and then you can also like order coffee and they have like amazing coffee amazing food um really great ambiance and it's right across Socrates Park so like on nice days it's just like such a beautiful place to be. Definitely, definitely. I also love that you started off at Starbucks as well. I <laughs> used to work at the Penn Bookstore in Philadelphia, and it was a Starbucks-esque coffee shop. And it was pretty intense. No, it wasn't intense at all. It was actually pretty laid back because even though it was uh, a Starbucks-owned place, Mm-hmm. We got to wear whatever we wanted. We didn't have to wear like the Starbucks attire and anything, but what? we had to do make the Starbucks drinks. It was pretty, pretty interesting. But the only weird part was that all the Penn students that came in would just ask us for advice about like school and and like relationships. And we were like, yeah, we don't go to Penn. <laughs> we just work here you know 
So you'd be like, you're young, you're you're a part of the crowd. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's so funny. And uh, but I also started my coffee career. Actually, that was my first job working in coffee. When I was 16, I used to work at the Philadelphia International Airport at this place called Jazz and Java. And it was the first time I ever worked at like a La Marzarco bar type of situation. Yes. So, yeah, I was gonna ask if it was like a real espresso machine. Yes, yes. And it was it was really cool because it was the third wave or whatever type of coffee shop, but in the airport. Yeah. And it was awesome to, you know, meet all these people coming in and out and like all the celebrities you got to take care of and it it was pretty, pretty cool as, you know, your first job of working in coffee. And like you said before, you know, coffee is like the backup job, but like it, it's pretty cool. It's really cool. It's like very nuanced. It's um, very much on par with like craft beer and fine yeah. wine, I would say. Definitely. Um, and the, the more people geek out about it, the more it can expand and like really become this like really specialty industry. Um, that's yeah. so cool that your your first job was a third wave coffee shop. Um, yeah, and remember- we, it was pretty. <laughs> it was pretty fun because we all hung out afterwards. I was sixteen, and I still I got to, that was the first time I ever partied with you know coworkers and <laughs> yeah got my first drink in. Like my friends would be like, "You never had a beer before?" Well try this and it was Sierra Nevada so the first time I ever had a beer (laughs) was Sierra Nevada Uh, yeah I I believe so yeah and um you started off right no PBR no yeah I went hard (laughs) right there it was just like the cracked beer of back then but yes 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 um but that's awesome and Astoria I used to live in Astoria as well so did you live in Brooklyn when you worked at the shop in Astoria yeah, yeah. I Wild. I've always lived in Wild. Brooklyn. I know. I would I would leave my apartment at 4:50 a.m. Yeah. to get there um like at 5:45 a.m. Mm-hmm. I should have gotten there at 4 at 5:30, but you know. <laughs> Oof. No, no, <laughs> crazy, crazy. Yeah, it's I used to live in Astoria, but my friends and my freelance design gig was in Greenpoint mm. and I also worked at a coffee shop in Borum Hill at the time so oh, from geez. Astoria all the way down yeah I I actually biked a lot I used to be like a hardcore biker and that makes so much sense yeah that is so smart honestly like if I, I yeah if if I had thought about it yeah and it wasn't like do, would you ride your bike like that early in the morning like at 5 a.m to like Sometimes. get down to your barista shift yeah. wow Pulled wow. the whole New York experience you. of working two jobs in one day. After working mm. the coffee shop, I would go to my design gig and then come home and just been like out cold. Yeah, that's the hustle. <laughs> that's the hustle. Um, but I, I also feel like New York kind of fosters this energy of like, you have to tire yourself out before mm. bed. Like I, I love like being super busy and working like two or maybe even three jobs a day. And then getting home and just like being like, I have no energy left for anything. No. Um, because if I, if I were to do like just one thing and then I would just be like, all right, now what? And then you kind of have to like calm yourself down from like 
all of the stimulation of the city and the energy and um, especially people who like really like pick up and like feed off of that. Yeah. I think, yeah, like the, the people who do work like, you know, three jobs a day, two do- jobs a day and just like go like balls to the wall. They're yeah. the they're the ones that belong here and they're the ones that like will really do something here. Of course, of course. And you also said that you used to work in Hell's Kitchen. I also used to work in the Upper East Side in coffee as oh. well. So tell me how that was like working in Hell's Kitchen. I loved Hell's Kitchen. Uh-huh. I love, love, loved it. Um, it was, I worked at a place called Free Zone Espresso. Mm-hmm. It, um, oh my gosh, it's on, it's on 47th Street between 8th and 9th Avenue. So mm-hmm. it was just far enough away from the hustle and bustle of Times Square, Definitely. but it was like right in the theater district, mm-hmm. um, right in like the bank district. And yeah. we had like so many businessmen, so many musicians, so many actors. Jason Mraz would go in there when he was on Waitress. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. Jason Mraz is like a good friend of the owners. Um, just from like going in and loving the coffee. Um, and we were we were busy. We were so busy. It was this tiny hole in the wall place and we would have a line out the door um, constantly and people would wait because the coffee was good. Um, I, we were working on a Seneso espresso machine, mm-hmm. which, um, you said that you worked on a La Marzocco, like mm-hmm. in the airport, right? Um, the, uh, have you ever worked on a Seneso? No. No. Okay. Gotcha. Um, Seneso like was originated in Seattle actually, mm-hmm. which is cool. Um, they, uh, I, I love their espresso machines. They're very basic, but mm-hmm. they're very forgiving, especially with milk steaming. Yeah. And um, the big thing that I remember about Free Zone is that that was like my training ground for latte art. Nice. Um, the owners were obsessed with latte art. All of the staff was obsessed with latte art. Yeah. And we had a rule where we weren't allowed to do any practice drinks. Like we weren't allowed to waste any product. And so every drink that a customer got, like we had to make it count, right? That was mm. like our practice. Um, and wow, so- this place is hardcore. Yeah, oh, it was hardcore. Like when, if two people ordered um, two cappuccinos, we would be like, all right, like throw down. Like we would yeah, like compete against each other mm-hmm. um, and be like, who can get the better design and stuff. And it was such a great environment. It was so much fun. Um, and that's really where like I perfected my swans, as you yeah, mentioned. That's um, awesome. Yeah, right yeah. There. It was it was it was so much fun. Um I the only reason I left that place was because like at that point I felt like my skill set could um adhere to a job that had more responsibilities. Yeah. And that place is just so tiny. Um and they like it was like a very small business without they they wanted to expand, but they didn't really have the means to like, um, to have given me the compensation that I should have gotten if I were to like step into a larger role. For sure, definitely. Um, as that and always happens. As that always happens, right? Like people can only like do uh, what they can within their means. Yeah. Um, they treated glad- me. Sorry. No, I'm just <laughs> glad that you know that happened that you know what you want, Mm. you know? Mm -hmm. And that's how you were able to put your foot down and be like, okay, I guess this is the part and this is the point where it's time to move on. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, That's that's kind of always been my um, strongest skill is knowing what I want. 
Nice. Um, yeah. And um, I and putting my foot down and being like, listen, like my time is over here. That's um, awesome. I also love that you enjoyed working Hell's Kitchen, where when I worked at Upper East Side, it was mm-hmm. completely hell. So I like that you enjoyed the customers, whereas up the Upper East Side was complete and utter mess. So I think that, you know, I tell all my friends, everything above 14th Street, stay away, even though I also <laughs> work in Midtown sometimes. So it's, it's, it's cool that you enjoyed it. Listen, if we're if we're being real, yeah. Um, here are the areas in town that I've worked in that I it. have thought that like cut the customers really need some rehabilitation yeah. and how they treat people, especially people <laughs> in the service industry who are still people and just as um, worthy of respect and Definitely. eye contact as you know people who are more well off. Mm-hmm. Um, I, so let's start with Upper East Side, Upper West Side. So, um, (laughs) I like the like family privilege Mm -hmm. of that place is just so, um, so ridiculous. Like this mom will come in with like five kids and they're all screaming and they're all running around. Yeah. And she's like, if you don't get me my latte in 30 seconds, I'm going to complain. Oh yeah. Right. Like, I feel like that's like very much the vibe of like the upper. Yeah. When I worked at the Upper East Side, there was a customer that came in and would yell at my coworker for not getting the order right. And when he was yelling at the uh, my coworker, the dog that he brought in with him was mm-hmm. barking with him at the same <laughs> time. So I was like, even the dogs here, like yeah unbelievable even the dog like doesn't know his privilege (laughs) (laughs) the dog's in on it um yeah and then um I worked in Astor Place um right around Union Square yeah um and that was I think that's my least favorite area Mm -hmm. in town and I I know that there are good people there and Mm -hmm. like there are awesome artists there and stuff but the NYU students and oh yeah post-grad um like undergrad yeah I know what's going on with that like I'm sorry your daddy pays for everything (laughs) I used to also work in the NYU area as well by Washington Square Park and Mm -hmm. it was at that shop I worked at it was flooding with NYU students nonstop. couldn't even get a breather but Mm -hmm. um they're the worst dippers yeah they're the worst tippers and their money isn't even theirs. Yeah. Like, what's up with that? Come on. Come on now. It's not even a real credit card. It's just yeah. a student card. <laughs> yeah. Um, Dad's not yeah. going to know that you dropped a dollar. Well, that's like, probably going to be supportive of you tipping like a course. service industry worker that has had to put up with your ridiculous order. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know if anybody's ever done this to you, but my favorite probably horrible have. customer is when they're like, oh, yeah, can I get a pour over? Well, especially while you're busy. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to make you the best pour over ever. It's going to have so <laughs> many like flavor notes, like it's going to blow your mind. And then you like hand to them and they're like, Oh, um, where's the milk and sugar? I know, right? Let's destroy <laughs> this. You're like, 
why did I spend five minutes babysitting your pour over in the middle of this rush while I could have literally just gone over to the drip coffee, which I probably calibrated anyway and will taste really great Uh so that you can douse it with milk and sugar. Um, And like, um, especially like in that area, I feel like people don't really know coffee culture, but they want to feel like they're like, they want to feel like their order is special you know, so they'll be like, oh, yeah, um, can I have a latte, but like with extra foam or like they'll be like, um, can I have an iced cappuccino? Yeah. And you're like, that doesn't exist. exist. <laughs> <laughs> it just um, there's there's no way for me to know what you mean by that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely. So like Lower East Side, Upper East Side, Upper West Side have been my like red zones Mm -hmm. of will not deal with customers also while I worked in Astoria there were some like if (laughs) this is gonna sound so bad but whatever I'm gonna say it anyway it's like (laughs) wannabe Manhattaners yeah of course that like are well off but they chose to live in Astoria because like they're smart the rent is cheaper and they have more room but they want to feel the privilege of Manhattan and to yeah. feel the air of Manhattan and they need to have their butts kissed. Oh yeah. And they need to like have attention on them at all times and like make sure that their order is like getting through right away. Yeah. No matter like where you are at, like in your day or like in your shift or like in your workflow or anything. Because it's like the fastest way to get into Manhattan. I basically live in Manhattan. Right, right. Man. Like, I have an office job that <laughs> pays me 150K, and I chose to live in Astoria. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gentrifying this area for you, you know? Wow. Wow. But then, as your, you know, coffee experience and all the places that you've worked at it just led you to keep working at better spots and now you've ended up at public records how did that yeah like that's amazing Um, that you know you're at a great place now and you know has the best atmosphere and basically all of brooklyn comes there for all like their good times the events at night you know, bring out every like Brooklyn, Brooklynite that appreciates good music, especially the sound system, because it's, you know, put together by, you know, the great Devon Turnbull, who mm-hmm. lives in, you know, Bedside as well. Mm-hmm. You know, they have a whole like espresso network. They carefully create, you know, their whole look. You know, it's absolutely stunning. You know, mm-hmm. their Instagram, you know, their website with photography and de- design. And, you know, you, are now in a carefully curated space. How did that all come about? You know, how, how did this work? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I was, uh, that's, you literally stole the wor- words out of my mouth. I feel like public records is a very um, carefully curated experience mm-hmm. for people who like authenticity, for people who like good times. Um, and like the really big focus at um, public records is like to, really um instill quality in everything that we do like from the food to the service to the bar drinks to like the sound room um and whatever we can do with it now right yeah um and the coffee which 
where I come in and like also like a, a part of my store is also like the very beautifully curated uh, record collection yes. um, by our um, amazing like merchandise director Tal mm-hmm. um, and like the magazines and we also have really cool products like we have this coconut water from Berlin that you can't mm-hmm. find anywhere else. And I'm obsessed with it. It's the best tasting coconut water. Yeah, um, I've actually tried that coconut water in Berlin. And mm. my friend Minji over the past weekend when I saw you, she also tried the same coconut water in Berlin. Mm. And she was also on episode two. So it was really cool to see that we, all three of us, including the merchandiser, know what you're actually talking about. It's amazing. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah I mean, it has a reputation. Um, mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so backing up a little bit, um, it, at the beginning of this year in January, um, yeah. I got the most amazing job um, that I ever got. It was a coffee educator position at Le Pen Quotidien. Mm-hmm. Um, and our um, the reason I got hired and like their initiative that they were doing was that they were replacing all of their espresso machines. Um, uh, and they had like single touch espresso machines, like the ones that Starbucks has, not, not mm. the same ones, but same concept. Yeah. Um, and they wanted to put in like real espresso machines, right? They were wow. lach in Bali. Um, but as, as you can totally attest to like, when you don't know anything about coffee and then all of a sudden you have a portafilter in front of you mm-hmm. and a grinder and like you have to like be careful of like the time and like all of that stuff um so my job basically was to go store by store and they had like 40 stores in new york at that point yeah um and we would we would go store by store and we would like train them for a week i had a lab and everything it was the coolest job. I loved it so much. Um, I also got to like develop specialty drinks for the menu. Um, and I got to like really organize just like the barista program. And there was going to be, um, so much more after we, um, after we did this change, this initiative that we were going to develop with the coffee program. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, um, COVID was a thing. It happened, um, to all of us. Right. And, um, they went bankrupt. And they had to lay off like most of their corporate staff. Um, And they did get bought out by a company called Orify. Um, They own uh, businesses like five guys that just have like a really good aesthetic. That's what they told them. They were like, you have a really good aesthetic. We want to keep this. We have five guys. (laughs) (laughs) We got money. So we're going to keep you going. So some of the stores are still going. Some of the stores are still in operation, but like Mm. most of corporate has been decimated. Of course. Um, And so, you know, I was on unemployment for a while, staying home, like we all should have been, uh, and we all were, you know, like New York did such a good job with um, their COVID response, I feel like. Um, Very proud to be a New Yorker in this time. Um, Yeah. Um, And then as um, the stimulus was ending uh, for unemployment, I was like, all right, well, I need to get a job. Um, I can't stay at home anymore. Like I can't, um, you know, I have to live. And also I'm so bored out of my mind. Yeah. Um, And I just started applying to places. I just, I I knew that I wasn't going to get the same caliber of job that I had before, but I was like, but you know what? Like, I want to keep my standards high. I want to get something that's really fucking cool. Yeah. Right. 
Um, and so I, I put out all of my feelers. Um, I actually found out about public records through Instagram, through a friend, uh, through an educator at Counterculture. Um, and I reached out to um, the contact and then they brought me in for an interview. And um, it just like the, the energy just felt really right. Yeah. Like I walked in and I saw the space and I was like, holy plants. Yeah. Um, oh, this is the first time. <laughs> Yeah, I'd, I'd never been there before. I'm not really a, um, I'm like, I'm a music nerd, but I'm not a nightclub type yeah. of person. Um, so I, I didn't know about public records, unfortunately. Um, it's such a cool place. But yeah, I, I walked in and I was like, what is this place? Yeah. Um, especially walking to it, like from the train, like you're like, what is this area and like what am mm. I gonna like walk into and then you walk into this like gorgeous beautifully lit like full you of did not expect that. and I I did not I yeah. literally I like the morning that I went into my interview I was like ugh, like this is just gonna be another coffee shop interview like I don't know what I'm doing like I'm never gonna get a good job like I literally was like not feeling no it they, that care. they care they mm-hmm. care about their aesthetic oh, and their coffee they, for sure yeah, and the really cool thing is that um, they closed down in March. Um, they made some changes, um, recalibration, as you will, and um, they decided to change their coffee supplier. Uh, they used to serve Say Coffee, mm-hmm. um, but the That's what I'm drinking right now. Oh yeah! yeah. Cheers. Cheers! Love that. What? Um, which bean? I oh no! Don't remember. But it is the the yellow, it's the yellow one. Okay. So if, uh, you know, so all of their their packaging is gorgeous, by the way. Yes, absolutely. Uh, or to go um for pickup or, you know, if you want to make coffee at home and whoever you know, shout out to the packaging director, whoever designed the packaging. So you can basically, all their boxes are the same, but their tasting notes are like this card that slips in. And so Mm -hmm. um, it's the yellow one, uh, which I can't remember off the top of my head, but Say Coffee, Brooklyn, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. unbelievable incredible yeah they do amazing amazing work especially if you like lighter um coffees like yeah. and just like brighter um more like fruity nuanced coffees yeah. like they're they're your coffee supplier they they do incredible work um but the yeah one of the owners of public records um his music business partner um took over a roastery in france it's a third wave french coffee roaster which cool. when I first heard that we were going to have French coffee, I was like a little worried just because, um, you know, like uh, the European style of coffee and the third wave style of coffee is just very different. Um, and third wave is like third wave in Australian is like all I really know. Yeah. Um, and but. This coffee is absolutely incredible. Yeah. Like when I when I got it and I first started working with it and playing around with it, I was like, wow, this is roasted so well with like so much precision. And the beautiful thing is like in France, they drink most of their coffee black. Like mm-hmm. they really don't add a lot of milk. No. 
And so everything is very curated to have that full rich taste by yeah. itself, uh, which I can really, really respect. And so the cool thing is that what they needed me to do basically, or whoever they were going to hire was that they needed to run the coffee program because nobody else knew anything about coffee. They were getting this fresh coffee. It's um, it, French water, like European water and American water are very different water as far as like minerals and like alkaline and yes. all that stuff. So they couldn't really forward their recipes over to us because it would just be different yeah. um, because of the water. So they needed someone who could take coffee from scratch and be like, this is where it tastes good. Yes. Um, and so basically that was me. Like they hired me and I was very, very excited. I was very happy. Um, I've set up a pretty good coffee program, if I may say so myself. Um, yeah. I feel like a lot of people have been like enjoying it so far. I've really, really enjoyed just being able to have um, like full power over how yeah. the coffee tastes, like full control over calibration and just being able to start it from scratch yeah. is really cool and really pushes your palate um, to really be like, okay, but like, can this taste better? And like, really like, what am I tasting? And, um, and like knowledge of coffee and how it works and like dialing in espresso. Cause like, I, and I'm sure you have like so much experience with this as well. Like if a coffee is tasting a certain way, there are so many fixes to that and you have to pick the right fix in order to like push it in the direction where it'll stand on its own. Yeah. 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 And you know, you know, Brooklyn has a lot of different coffee roasters that they go to, you know, so the mm -hmm. coffee shop that I used to work at homecoming, we carry uh heart roasters and, you know, they're wonderful. They're absolutely pretty. They're, I love them. I think they're great. Like say coffee is like super cool. Mm -hmm. uh, when I used to work at office coffee out at the canal street market in the city, uh, they originally started with Stumptown, and then when I left, mm. they they switched over to Say Coffee, and I was like, "Why? <laughs> You're like, why'd you do it right as I was leaving? What the heck?" <laughs> it's it's unbelievable. Do you have a favorite roaster? It's such a good question. Um, honestly, like I'm just so biased, just because I I get to. Yeah, I, I get to pick my coffee and I get to dial in my coffee and I get yeah. to really taste the full extent of what it can do. Yeah. So right now, like deep coffee roasters, which are the roasters that uh, we're using at Public Records, they're definitely my favorite just because yeah. they just do such incredible work. Every coffee that they send me, I'm like, wow, it's just so nuanced and full and beautiful. Amazing. Um, I also really love black and white coffee roasters. Yeah. Uh, they're based out of North Carolina and they do some really cool, funky stuff. Um, and they, yeah, um, they have some like really cool, like off the wall coffees, which I really appreciate. Um, um, what about you? Me? Yeah. Would you say say my, is your favorite? My favorite, my favorite. Wait, actually, let me, let me check that. Okay. <laughs> I just had to bring out that packaging. Oh, nice, nice. Say, yeah, it's beautiful. It's so beautiful. And so- It's very sleek. It's very sleek. Mm. It's 
It's very cool. So this at the moment, you know, the Honduras is is my favorite, but I don't know. My favorite, I really do love heart. Um, I really do love heart. I used to love, for some odd reason, City of Saints. Um, I don't know why. And then when, like, when I was a kid, La Cologne was like the only thing we had in Philadelphia. Totally, totally yeah. classic Philly. Yeah, classic Philly. You know, but it's, it's, the taste is different from other people that roast La Cologne. Coffee. Mm. So mm-hmm. I only He's, like La Colombe at La Colombe. Right. In in Philly. Or in just Philly. like any La Colombe. Like uh, would you go to La Colombe in the city? Yeah, even even at the La Colombe's in the city. I don't, mm, okay. I don't mind. But when people carry La Colombe, it tastes different. It's probably because they're not extracting it right. Like That's probably it. you know, like as a as a barista, you have to taste like even even if they give you parameters of how to extract your coffee, I feel like yeah. it's really important to taste it every day, like everything, yeah. um, and see what kind of tweaks you can make to it. Definitely. What's your favorite shop, uh, shop to go to for coffee? In- My favorite shop. Okay. Could be in the I city. Have, it could be all over the place. Um, I have, there, I, there's so many that I would want to talk about. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. Um, there's this place in Midtown called Burden Branch. Mm-hmm. They they do really amazing work with their coffee, but they also have really great uh, specials. They have yeah. really really cool um, specialty drinks. Um, the shop that I go to the most, I would say, is Little Skips, just because it's three blocks away from my place. And wow. um, awesome. Yeah, yeah, and they have great food. Um, they their baristas always know um, how to extract their coffee. Um, I get a matcha a lot too, and they make their matchas really well. Yeah. Um, and then one that I'm like very partial to because my partner um, is the manager of the Soho location. And then also like one of my really good friends works at the Park Slope location um, is Everyman Espresso. Mm-hmm. They, um, they're like one of those uh, shops that have been around for a very, very, very long time and has been really consistent with their output. Um, and they like they really they really focus on quality quality first always um and just always a great experience when you go there look at us we're just like name dropping all these shops (laughs) we should have a coffee podcast (laughs) (laughs) so i see that you're also into photography acting you also play the piano and sing is that what you were trained to do, you know? Yeah, so I went to school for musical theater. Mm -hmm. Um, I also trained in film as well. Yeah. Um, It's like, it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting thing to talk about just because, um, you know, theater and performing and storytelling really um, has been my passion ever since I was younger. Um, ever since I was like very, very little, you know, I was one of those kids that would like always put on shows and I would always be singing. And um, I really um, felt at home, uh, mm. especially when I was a teenager and, um, you know, life is hard when you're a teenager. Um, and the thing that got me through was theater yeah, yeah. and just participating in shows, feeling like I was a part of something. 
Um, and just, um, like, I love the elation of like, after you do a show or whatever, when people come up to you and they're like, wow, like what you did really touched me, Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? Um, and so I went to school for musical theater. Um, I finally like convinced myself to go. Um, and that's what brought me here, which I'm so thankful. Um, but the thing that like kind of stopped me from pursuing it further until now really is I had to figure out after school, I had to figure out who I was mm -hmm. because especially going to um, a performing arts school, I feel like a big nature of those schools, whether or not they intend to do this is they kind of build little automatons that all do the same thing and all um, perform the same way, sing the same way, dance they the do. same way. Like, yeah. like what makes you stand out from the others, you know? Yeah. And like, I, I, as a person, am very different. I would never, I, I would say like, I would never fit into a, an, uh, an ensemble line, you know, like, um, I would never fit into a kick line just because I, I have like very weird, crazy energy that I like to bring forth, like when I'm acting and that like, when I was, you know, like very expressive and creative and just wanted to try everything, my teachers, some teachers would be like, you know, you have to pick a lane, you have to dumb yourself down or else like nobody's going to take you seriously, you know, like, or you're only going to be able to play like the funny best friend roles. Yeah. Uh, which is something like a real feedback that I got. Um, and that just like, didn't sound like what I wanted to do. It didn't sound like in line with like my passion for storytelling and like impacting others. It all just felt like entertainment for the sake of entertainment instead of um, like a story to, um, to comment on life. You know, um, it just didn't, it didn't feel like the focus was on the art the focus was on the spectacle. Yeah. And I needed to separate myself and separate um, who I wanted to be as a performer and also who I was as a person. Because when, you know, you're like 20 years old and you're doing what you love and you really want to do well and you're getting all this feedback, it's like so hard to separate like the work from yourself. Um, and so I haven't like, I haven't really like sung in a while. I haven't really acted in a while, um, but I've like really just become a person. Like I learned how to work in the world. I learned yeah. how to pay my bills. I fell in love. I had so many cool experiences. Like I, I did lots of art competitions. Um, and I also, I didn't act, but I um, stage managed and I assistant directed on um, productions and really just explored the like technical side of my brain. Um, and now I'm kind of at this place where I'm like, okay, I definitely know who I am. Um, and I definitely know, um, like what I want to do with my, like my creative work. You know, I, I know the type of stories I want to tell. I know the type of people I want to impact. I know the messages that I want to send now I just gotta like brush up those skills you yeah. know like I gotta just because they they really are skills and you like you do lose them like yeah. when you haven't used them in a while um so, and so are you sorry. trying to say that like working in the industry and the coffee industry together both enhanced your 
skill set of just being a better person? Yeah, yeah. I think um, because a a big message that people send to people that are in musical theater mm-hmm. and studying musical theater is that you're going to have to tunnel vision yourself. Of course. They say that you're going to have to completely ignore everything in life other than the next audition, other than hitting that note. Um, and I kind of feel sorry for the people that take that advice just because I don't feel like they were able to enjoy their adolescence and they weren't able to enjoy like being a person and learning how to make mistakes and um, learning how to get over those mistakes and learning how to keep going. Um, It just, um, I just was, I was, I wasn't a strong enough person to go through all of the trials that you have to go through like in auditions and in, in the industry, you know, um, like networking and all of that stuff. I didn't know how to talk to people. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I, I didn't know how to like ride that line between like pampering someone, but also being like, but I'm cool and you should get to know me. Yeah. And now I really feel like I have that confidence. Um, it's good. Just because I know who I am as a person I've lived through things and I've made decisions and that's made me like who I am now. That's wonderful. (laughs) <laughs> I like I like hearing those stories only because of the fact that you know I almost feel that people should start from you know the ground up of like working in the industry like like the food industry or mm-hmm. something that like you don't have any type of you know skill set mm-hmm. and and you just have to like learn on your own and figure out the kinks and then you start to grow and then you meet all these cool and amazing people. Like what's interesting about working in the coffee industry was that I was able to connect with all of my collaborators through coffee mm. with my other career. So, you know, it's definitely not the most traditional way ever. You know, people usually do the whole college thing and then go straight to like a job right there and then but you know I totally envy everyone that works in the arts <laughs> like and you know, musical theater and, and in theater I still don't even understand how like Broadway does its thing you know what do you mean like how how like people like you know work in Broadway do all these like you know all the acting, everything, and then also work as like a server or like work in the food industry. It's just like, I get it. I understand all that. It's, it's wonderful. It's, it's great, but it is also tiring at the same time. Yeah. It's tiring and you don't really have a life. (laughs) Like you really don't have a life. Yeah. Um, You try to make your fun with in it. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing is like, the industry is totally there to just tear you down definitely you know and it's um you should make your fun in it and you should learn how to make your fun in it and you should learn how to detach yourself from the audition process from like the feedback from people who are not looking for what you are which is so personal and so hurtful um and sorry go ahead oh exactly exactly but what's awesome is that when you tie both of those together you know, working mm-hmm. 
in musical theater and also in the coffee world when you started learning your swan technique and then you started going in competitions you're on a stage mm-hmm. now you know bringing everything to the table and like you're throwing down and your swans look beautiful <laughs> thank you thank Great. you um thanks i it's it's funny that you mentioned that because i've like through like reflecting you know on um like competitions i've kind of realized that like doing so well in latte competitions and just like throwing myself into that world and um kind of like you know enjoying the competition part of it and all that it's taught me so much about auditioning yeah it's taught me like it's just kind of instilled in me that um of like that get up there do the thing that you practiced and then that's it and then you move on right because like and especially when you start a performance it's kind of like when you start a um a latte art core yeah um and you you know where you're heading but you don't know exactly um you don't know exactly what's going to happen all you can do is like live in the moment and let it ride out exactly it's like very synonymous to each other and if i'm able to get comfortable with like going up on a stage and having all these people watch me pour some milk into some coffee (laughs) and like being able to like have some success in it like being able to like relax and like really focus and bang out some awesome stuff um then why can't I do that with auditioning like why can't I do that like with a song you know that I've practiced like I just need to trust myself and I need to get out of my way mm-hmm. basically um because auditioning was the hardest thing for me when i got out of school just because i would always focus on what i wasn't yeah and i would always focus on what was going to go wrong instead of being like dude i'm awesome i have something to offer and mm-hmm. if this doesn't work out then that's cool because i have i have another latte i can pour yeah you know like I have Not so many lattes to pour. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's been really cool. And I'm also like, now that I've kind of like taken a step back from um, my like acting persona, I'm also really inspired to direct. I'm really inspired to write mm-hmm. um, just because I feel like there's, there's so much female representation that needs to be had there. And there's so yes. many stories that um, don't really like touch on the aspects of life that are like all around us. Like I've, I have still yet to watch a movie with like a stable, normal, like casual lesbian relationship, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's always about like how hard it is to be a lesbian or whatever, or like how hard it is to be gay. Why can't we just have like casual characters? Like why can't we normalize this um, way of living? Right. Yeah. Because the the people that have no experience with this kind of lifestyle, if all they see is like problematic relationships, if all they see is drama, 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 mm-hmm. um, then that's what they're going to associate this lifestyle with. And that's so harmful to like little kids growing up, you know, realizing that they might not necessarily be straight and just seeing all this like representation of like really toxic relationships. And that's yeah. not a bleak that's like a very bleak future and 
it's a little better than having no representation, but not by much. No. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Thanks. Oof. Really excited that I'm only going down to two days a week at public records just because yeah. now I'm like, finally feel like I'm at a place where, um, you know, I know myself, I've talked about that for forever just now, yeah. but I, I feel like I'm at a starting point of something really cool, like the next chapter of my life. Awesome. And at public records, what is your favorite dish at public records? The mushroom melt. Absolutely. Ooh. Hands down the mushroom melt. It's so good. I eat it every day. I don't know how I haven't gotten sick of it yet, but I eat it every day. <laughs> what about you? What's me, your favorite dish at public me, records? I mean, to be honest with you, that is the only thing I've had. Oh yeah. 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 Well, yeah, yeah. You, you chose well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. So Sean, how we end the podcast is that if you were to get a chest tattoo quote in old English, what would your phrase be? That is a really hard question. Mm. Um, I uh, have to go to Shakespeare just because that's, um, you know, my, my, uh, my roots. Mm. Um, I have two that I couldn't really choose between. Yeah. Um, the. Um, you did some research. Yeah. Nice. I did research. I did. I wanted to like answer this question well. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. Um, the first one is, I am one who loved not wisely, but too well. It's from Othello. Mm -hmm. um, it, to me, it reads that like um, his passion like overcame him, you know, like maybe his passion wasn't like, didn't um, make him uh, make like the smartest decisions, right? Mm -hmm. He didn't make the smartest decisions, but he made them out of love. Um, and that's really how I feel about like anything that I fall in love with. I like, I love it very, very vehemently and with all of my heart. Um, yeah. Like, you know, coffee wasn't supposed to end up this way, but it did because I loved it with all of my heart. And um, oh, anything- wholesome yeah <laughs> um and so yeah i really um relate to like this um this concept of just being so passionate about something that it kind of makes you blind yeah um and the second one um is nothing will come of nothing oh she just threw down two <laughs> don't want to throw down two quotes on wear many hats <laughs> <laughs> wow, bold and ambitious. Only here, folks. You Only just saw it. Yeah, wow, <laughs> wow. Um, I really like that one just because um, I, you know, like like many people, I suffer from depression and anxiety, and um, there's a lot of obstacles that are like mentally in my way, as I'm sure a lot of people can relate. And the the thought that like that has kept me going through those dark times is you know, like you can either indulge in this and like believe it, or you could just try it anyway. Like fight through that, which is really hard, but like yeah. try it anyway and do something because like being catatonic will literally get you nowhere. Wow, Sean, you've been very inspiring. 
through through down like you do on your throwdowns it's <laughs> unbelievable um, sean thank you so much for being on wear many hats and i'm your host rashad rostam this is presented by desire peace peace thanks for having me